And there we go. We are back again for another fantastic episode of Friday Night Counter-Attack. And I'm looking forward to this one. It's it's one where we get to talk about, well, first things first, we're introducing the podcast with the Manchester Derby. And then later on in the podcast, we'll get Salem back on, hopefully, and he'll be able to talk to us about his thoughts on the Premier League uh, coming up this weekend as well. But no, we're back to our bread and butter. We're back to what we're talking about in the Premier League. And um, the Manchester Derby is coming up at the Etihad on Sunday at 2 p.m. I'm really looking forward to it because Manchester United tend to have a good record at the Etihad for some reason in recent years. So I thought, who better to get on to talk about Manchester United than my good friend from The Athletic, Anthony Hay. So, Anthony, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. How have you been recently? I've been good. I'm just glad the Premier League's back this weekend because international football just doesn't really do much for me. So You and me both. Yeah, yeah I'm just buzzing to have it back. And what a game to kick it off with with obviously you've got Arsenal Tottenham on Saturday and then the Manchester Derby on Sunday so I think it's going to be a brilliant weekend for football it's going to be fantastic and it's going to be really good to see how these managers kind of go up against each other the Arteta versus Conte battle the Ten Hag versus uh, Guardiola battle as well I'm really looking forward to seeing how uh, Ten Hag looks to outclass Pep Guardiola and his style of play but um, first things first what are your thoughts on the game what are you looking forward to watching in um, on the Manchester Derby on Sunday I'm just glad to see Man United back in action because when was our last Premier League game? Like it was ages ago because obviously we had the two postponed. I know we had the Europa League game, but obviously Europa League. That was League, the last game. League. That was yeah. the last game when we lost to no, we won when we beat um Sheriff away, I think it was the two 0 Yeah, was it two 0 Two 0 Yeah. So it'd just be good to get us back in the Premier League because I think we were on a really good run before obviously the Queen sadly passed away. Yeah. Um with four was it four straight wins? Um so, yeah, it'd just be good and it'd be a proper test. Obviously, Man City, for me, I think they're going to win the league. Um, I think they're better than Liverpool and Chelsea and us. So, it's the biggest test in the Premier League. And to go to the Etihad, I know, obviously, as you said, we have a good record there of late, but it's the biggest test in the Prem. So, obviously, they're in Anfield. So, yeah, it's just going to be good to see whether Lissandro Martinez, if he can still continue his great form. Obviously, his partnership with Varane has been excellent over the last few weeks, and I'm so glad Varane managed to come back injury-free, touch wood, that he doesn't get an injury before Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, seeing players like Anthony again, like we haven't seen much of him. Obviously, he's had those little cameo appearances, had a few starts, but we haven't seen the best of him yet. So, yeah, it's just a big test for all the players and just to see what level we're at. Obviously, City are like the top team in the Premier League, so it's going to be good to see how Ten Hag competes against Man City, Guardiola and having to go to the Etihad. Yeah, it's excellent to see how Manchester City have started the season. They're unbeaten as well. A couple of draws in there as well and a couple of comebacks as well. The one against Newcastle, the one against Crystal Palace especially uh, rings to mind as well. So it goes to show that there is a bit of character um, when they are down the season as well. So it goes to show that it's not all doom and gloom as a City fan um, when you are kind of down as well, especially with the Dortmund game as well. You're looking at how they came back and how they scored the goals that they did, which is extraordinary for me as well. But I'm really looking forward to seeing a couple of these key battles coming up as well, Anthony. Like you said, Lisandro Martinez, he had a fantastic game last season against Erling Haaland in the Champions League where Borussia Dortmund lost to Ajax and it was Ericsson Hugs Ajax where um, I believe Ajax had the maximum points. They won every single game in the group stage. And it goes yeah. to show how people who have seen Erling Haaland previously and Lisandro Martinez uh, play previously as well. Lisandro Martinez won that battle. It's shown quite dominant. It was shown how dominant he was against uh, Erling Haaland. Not everything was played to him at chest height or at head height as well. 
it goes to show how Martinez can actually outjump some of these players as well and outmuscle them as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, Lisandro Martinez does against uh, Erling Haaland as well. And I think with the whole Harry Maguire situation as well, I'm really happy that he's out of the team. I'm really happy that it's a Martinez and a Varane situation, just like you said as well. Varane coming back fit is a big plus for us as well. So it goes to show mm. if he does get fully fit um, for the game, it'll be good to see how we kind of go against uh, this Manchester City attack, which is looking yeah. threatening at the moment. Yeah, I think Maguire should even be below Lindelof in the pecking order, to be fair. Like, his confidence is completely shot. He obviously had that long talk with Southgate after the game, apparently, the other day. But he just needs to be taken out of the firing line, even maybe just to leave him out of the squad for a few games. But he just needs to regain his confidence on the training ground and really get back to basics, I think. So, yeah, hopefully we don't see Maguire for a few weeks, even if he might play in the Europa League. But, yeah, I think he just needs to be taken out for a while. But yeah, with Varane, I think Ten Hag's done really well with him, just easing him into the season. Because I think Ten Hag said he's a slow starter towards the start of the season. And even with pre-season, he didn't get that many minutes because I think he just wanted to protect him because he knows how important Varane is. Obviously, we saw against Brentford and Brighton. Without him, we conceded, what, six goals? So, yeah. And then with Varane in the team, we haven't lost this season, I don't think. So he's so integral. So I'm so glad he's, he's fit and firing. It's really nice to see how Rafael Varane has become the centre-back that we expected that we bought last season as well. So it goes to show that when looked after properly and when managed properly, it goes to show that he is the kind of right player that we kind of needed going forward as well. So hopefully this is the reassured partnership we've been waiting for for a long, long time as Manchester United fans. And you could even say the same about the back four as well, couldn't you? With the likes of Diogo Dallo, who personally proved me wrong because I thought he wasn't good enough to play for Manchester United as a first-team player as mm. well. Ever since that Liverpool game, who kind of come into his own, come out of his shell... Um, been a lot more passionate on the pitch and I think working with Varane the right centre-back has been a lot more uh, it's, there's a lot less pressure on him I would say as well because he's got a reassured centre-back partner uh, at right centre-back and it goes to show how um, confident he can become as well and I'm looking forward to it as well because he scored two goals for Portugal in the international break as well he had an assist as well I think in one of the games and it goes to show how he and Tyrone Malassia who was taken over from Luke Shaw's um, responsibilities at left-back could be a, a proper starting eleven now as well with, with a proper back four. I'm looking mm. forward to seeing how this defence kind of goes. What are your thoughts on the fullbacks uh, so far this season, Anthony? Yeah, they've been brilliant. Dallo and Malastia. And what I really liked, I don't know, I'm sure you've noticed it, a lot of people have. Whenever they do like a block or a good defensive action, all four of them are hugging each other. De Gea sometimes gets involved. They're clapping hands. There really seems to be a unity between the back five now, which yeah. I don't think we had with Shaw and Maguire because feel like there was a bit of friction maybe between Maguire and De Gea but now those five you can tell they love playing with each other and it's just a solid unit now which I don't think Shaw or Maguire are going to be able to get back into as long as they stay fit um so yeah the back five is looking really good and then you've got McTominay who I think for the last two three games has been so good in that defensive midfield position that's why Casemiro has still been on the bench and I think that's going to be the case probably on Sunday as well, because you can't really drop McTominay at the moment, I don't think. Yeah. I think... Ten Hag really at the beginning of the season as well. McTominay yeah. undroppable. Yeah, exactly. I think Ten Hag really likes him because of obviously his height. When you've got people like Malassia and Martinez, you need that height around you. So Varane, McTominay, you need those players who can head the ball out on defensive set pieces, even attacking set pieces. So I think McTominay is really key and I think he's going to be key on Sunday as well when you've got a midfield of De Bruyne, uh, Bernardo Silva, obviously Rodri. You really need someone who can 
go around and mark all those players. And yeah, I think McTominay is going to be in for a, a good game on Sunday. Yeah, McTominay tends to have a, a a decent competition with Kevin De Bruyne as well when Kevin De Bruyne is playing in the centre midfield. So there have been a couple of times when there's like literally just made him like non-existent in the game so far. And it goes to show that if Ericsson Hogg kind of plays these kind of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer tactics that have worked at the Etihad previously where we are sitting back and we have kind of done this against Arsenal and Liverpool respectively this season and we mm-hmm. go out on the counter-attack with the front three that we would have, it goes to show that, that it can be done and we can nullify Manchester City. It's just about how um, our midfield kind of goes forward as well. And if we do start with McTominay, Eriksen and Bruno Fernandes, that would be a lot more uh, controlling for us as well. We wouldn't go for the two holding midfielders of Casemiro and McTominay, which I think mm-hmm. could be a viable option as well. But I don't see how you drop Christian Eriksen in this team. I don't see where you get rid of him and because... He's found his home for me in that number eight position next to Scott McTominay in the way that he can dictate play from um from the back. And we've really missed a play like that. Ever since Michael Carrick's kind of left Manchester United um as a player, we haven't really replaced that ball playing centre midfielder who can dictate the tempo and calm the game down and change the game with a pass just like that as well. So um mm. what are your thoughts? What do you reckon the midfield would be for this weekend? The only other thing I thought of is would he put Bruno on like play him out wide off the wing position, but or as a false nine, something like that. But I think he's got to keep it. I think he's got to keep Bruno Eriksson and McTominay. When I've seen Casemiro, I don't think he's fully fit yet or fully in the, the United way. Yeah. I think maybe he needs a few more weeks training. Maybe a few of the Europa League games that are coming up because obviously United are going to be playing every three days now until the World Cup. So there's going to be loads of games for Casemiro to get. But I just don't think he's up to speed. I know he played for Brazil in midweek and maybe the week before that so maybe he's had a few more games under his belt but yeah I don't I don't think you can drop McTominay you can't drop Ericsson after he's put in so many man of the match performances since his arrival and obviously Bruno picks himself he's captain now and yeah he's one of our linchpins so those three have to start it's just whether he mixes it up by putting Bruno as a false nine or in one of the forward positions but I don't think he can do that I wouldn't put Bruno as a false nine because we tried that last season as well. I think it was rather Pogba false nine and Sancho on the left and Bruno on the right, something like that that we had, or Elanga. Um, mm. It just didn't really work for us. We had no outlet besides Sancho going forward and that's the only time we scored in that 4-1 defeat last season as well. So um, I really like the way that we're playing at the moment. What's kind of done it for you in terms of with the midfield? Because this is a refreshing defence, a refreshing midfield as well. I'm really liking this Bruno and Eriksen kind of axis that we have as well because it's not as... Um, cliche as the Pogba and Bruno Fernandes actions that we've had before but they just kind of just get on with the job they were happily both pressed together Ericsson's covering so much more ground um, than I ever expected for him as well as a number eight and Bruno Fernandes is pressing from the front properly as well and it goes to show that we are winning the ball back earlier especially with the, um, the goal against Leicester as well and the, go- mm. the goal against Arsenal where Ericsson gets the ball into feet passes it um, on the half turn to Bruno and Bruno straight away through to Rashford we are a lot quicker in our play and we're a lot quicker going forward as well but What's been the key takeaway for you from watching this midfield, Anthony? I think it's just Ericsson's intelligence. As you said before, he is another Michael Carrick. And to get a player of that calibre for free was just amazing. Yep. You saw him midweek for Denmark. He scored that wonderful goal. I think he created like eight chances the other day for Denmark. So he had some mad statistics. He's just been immense, really. And yeah, as you said, he has surprised me with his work rate. He can get around in the midfield engine room and he can be a number six. He can be a number eight. He's so versatile and he just adds more to his game and he's so intelligent. I think Gary Neville said it the other day, like his intelligence is supreme. And when you've got intelligent players on the football pitch, they're going to be able to pass to each other. They're going to be able to link up. 
So you can see that Bruno and Ericsson, they're going to get the best out of each other, which is something that Pogba and Bruno couldn't really do. But yeah, this new midfield's exciting. And then when you've got a player of Casemiro's ability who will eventually come in, it's going to be a good midfield three, I think, as long as they stay fit and firing. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how Casemiro does get embedded into this team as well because there's so much uh, rotation that we finally have of quite a big calibre as well. Like Even with Fred and Van der Beek coming into the team and out of the team as well, it'll be mm. good to see how they end up doing eventually, hopefully getting a lot more Europa League um, game time for them as well and coming on as a sub- second-half sub where Fred has done very well in that respect as well. So he's been pressing from the front as well. He's been making a lot more uh, progressive carries, which I haven't really seen Fred do much as of well, recently. And it goes to show that Ten Hag's had a good experience, good impact, sorry, on the kind of players that we already have, which is good to see. Um, mm. But here's the worrying thing for me. There are talks of Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford being doubtful for the game on the weekend as well. There are talks that Rashford is doubtful and Sancho is 50-50. But how would you kind of set up this attack against Manchester City if they were fit? I think Anthony, Sancho and Rashford, Rashford being in the middle, would be the ideal uh, starting eleven up front, starting three mm. up front as well. But uh, is it looking likely that Sancho could be out and Rashford could be out? Or is it going to be like until the last minute they'll give it a go? Because they both didn't play for England, so it's refreshing to see. And Anthony played yesterday, I think. It was yeah. yeah. I think Sancho's fit, though, because I've seen him in the training pitches and I think he was fit for the England squad, but Southgate just chose not to include him. So I think Sancho's definitely fit. Um, Rashford, they'll probably leave it last minute. They might just be saying he's not not fit at the moment and then having a bit of a mind game. Um, yeah, Ten Hag's presser will be on Friday. He doesn't normally say that much to the media, but that will be interesting. But as you said, I think Rashford... I was watching some of the goals actually earlier against Man City away at the Etihad, and Rashford normally has a good record there. So, yeah, hopefully he can play as a number nine with Anthony and Sancho on the wing. If not... I think Ronaldo's just a bench player now. Even for Portugal, he's struggling. So mm. I don't think he's a viable star against City. Um, Alanga, he doesn't do it for me, really. I don't think he's at that level. Maybe as a last 15-minute player, he can come on and add some pace. But yeah, he's not really a starter for me. And then obviously you've got Martial, who we don't really know too much about his injury. I think yeah. Ten Hag said he had an Achilles strain. But yeah, we haven't really heard anything. He hasn't been in any of the pitches, the training pitches. So... Seems like he's going to be out. So I think the front three is going to pick itself if Rashford's fit. What do you yeah, think? Absolutely, because with Rashford as well, winning play of the month in September, I thought that was quite surprising to be fair. I thought they were better players, but I'm really happy that he got it. Great for his confidence. It's going to be really good to see how he ends up um, doing against Manchester City because we have seen him uh, at the Etihad kind of tear it up apart. Especially for me, not really the 15-16 one, the 1921 when we won 2 1 because we were just counter attacking like the red arrows in that game as well. Yeah. Daniel James, Marcus Rashford, Jesse Lingard, and Anthony Marshall were all going against this team as well. And it goes to show that if this is the way that we have to play against Man City, so be it. It's literally starting from Marcus Rashford as our number nine. And he goes to show that when you have a high line, like we've seen against Arsenal, you can get past them as well. But it goes to show how you've got the right people in the right place in the right position as well. And Marcus Rashford is the one to be working in between. Probably Nathan Ake and, and Ruben Diaz or Akanji if it's fit because John Stones is injured as well from the England game that yeah. we recently saw as well. So it goes to show that if you can take on Carl Walker at right back or Cancelo at left back, he can do it. Mm. But I think Rashford in the middle will be a, will be a really big thing as well. So it goes to yeah. show that we have. You can never there. deal with pace, can they? They can never deal with pace. So I think it's, that's their bugbear. Yeah, it's just Carl Walker and that's it. Like Carl Walker, mm. he can trap people back, but 
even against the Sancho goal last season, he just kind of stepped off him and let Sancho cut inside and carried on. I know there was an overlapping run, but it goes to show that there's a lot of people that um, kind of just back off a lot of players. And Kyle Walker is one of them. He can recover, but he doesn't mm. really end up going a bit... Um, it doesn't really end up going as as far as he can do. And I reckon with Kyle Walker playing in that back five for England, he's a lot more comfortable in that respect as well than playing in the back four for Man City with these inverted fullbacks. And he is mm. one of them as well. Um, but let's talk about the opposition now, Anthony. Pep Guardiola's had a fantastic season as always. Manchester City have had a great start this season. Their attack hasn't been as reliable as normal because their attack has only been one man, in my opinion, Erling mm. Haaland. And it goes to show when you have a number nine, and people were doubting how he would start in the season. I know for fact you and I were never ones that were doubting him. How do you stop Erling Haaland um, from a Man United point of view? And how do you stop this Manchester City attack? That's a great question. I said in another podcast before the season that Haaland's going to score 40 Premier League goals. And I still think he will. Because mm. he's just unreal. Whether it's heading, whether it's that goal what he scored the other day, where I, I don't know how he managed to get his foot up there. It's just extraordinary. It's what you got to do is stop the service to him because you know he's a finisher. He'll finish anything. So it's stopping De Bruyne, it's stopping Silva, it's stopping Foden, making sure the ball doesn't go into him because if not, he's going to be a danger. So yeah, it's just maybe pushing him wide, whether we can try and do that. So he's, he's not in and around the six-yard box. We're getting those little tap-ins or the, those little touches what managed to go into the goal. So yeah, it's all about stopping the service. But obviously, that's a hard thing to do when you've got players of De Bruyne on the pitch and Foden's calibre. But they they don't worry me too much. Obviously, Harlan worries me a lot because we know how good he is. But yeah, Foden and Grealish, I think if you get stuck into them, sometimes they can shy away a bit. Um, obviously, Grealish is quite good at winning fouls and stuff around the area, which we don't want to give away because they could be a bit of a threat at pieces if they knock it into Harlan. But yeah, it's just about stopping those those playmakers really would you yeah, think absolutely because when you're looking at Grealish he's made this interview recently with Man City saying it's not all about goals and assists but for every other player in an attacking um, Premier League as well it's always going to be about goals and assists I know he draws fouls I know he's someone who will look to uh, bring other players into play and hold the ball up which he does very very well but mm. he's looking like a shell of himself that he was at Aston Villa and it's someone where you're kind of looking at how they could set up this team and for me if I was a Manchester City manager obviously I'm not but I'd go for um, Rodri, I go for Gundogan and I go for De Bruyne because Gundogan is always that player that can catch us out. He can catch us out with those edge of the bun, uh, edge of the run, edge of the box type runs. Mm. He can catch us out with being in the right position at the right time for these goals as well. And you're kind of looking at it and thinking Ilkay Gundogan versus Christian Eriksen could be a very good battle as well. If McTominay's on Kevin De Bruyne, how mm. are you going to try and combat this midfield? And if you've got Bernardo Silva on the right or Riyad Mahrez on the right and Phil Foden on the left with Erling Haaland, that's where you're kind of thinking, does Dallo and does uh, Malassia attack as they normally would? And you know how Eriksen Hall has gone into the system with a... Um, he's gone for an inverted fullback at times and has gone for a free in the midfield as well. It's quite worrying to see how Manchester City, in my opinion, just look unstoppable for this game. I know you said they are there to be beaten, but I think we can only beat them from a counter-attacking position as well. If we do draw them all in, if we do um, contain them very well, how do you kind of think that um, Man United can kind of beat them? Yeah, it is about the counter-attacks. But will Ten Hag want to play that way? As you, as you said, we have kind of played it against Arsenal and Liverpool. But he's more of a possessive-based possessive, possessive based manager, isn't he? So mm -hmm. it's going to be tight. Um, 
it's going to be interesting to see because there's going to be so many battles on the pitch, whether it's Haaland versus Varane or whether he goes on to Lissandro Martinez or the De Bruyne-McTominay battle. Just battles everywhere. So it's just exciting to see it come Sunday afternoon, I think. Definitely. And Anthony versus Cancelo will be a very big battle as well if Anthony does get the nod ahead of Alanga or whoever we've got as a right winger as well. So it goes to show mm. that Cancelo has been one of the better fullbacks in this Premier League for the last two, three seasons, in my opinion. He has a fresh test against him, which will be very good to see. And it'll be very good to see how it um, kind of goes forward as well. But um, last thing on Manchester City before we move on to the next kind of topic, Anthony right there, is with this, with this Manchester City side, do you finally think that this is a side that can actually win the Champions League with the likes of Erling Haaland and the team with a Kanji coming in for that backup at centre-back? How do you kind of see it um, going forward? Yeah, when you look across Europe, obviously the Premier League is the strongest league, I think, with, within those top five leagues. And City are the best in the Premier League. So, yeah, why not? They've got the, one of the best managers in the world. So they've added a strike of Haaland's calibre to their squad. If they keep everyone fit, as long as Pep doesn't go crazy with some kind of stupid tactic what he normally does in the Champions League, oh my God. Then, I, then I think, yeah, between them, obviously PSG, I think they could go all the way as well this year. Real Madrid always a problem. But yeah, I feel like City City can definitely go to the semi-final or final, 100%. Definitely. And just on your opinion on Manchester United, how do you think is their best way of getting into the Champions League? Do you reckon it will be by winning the Europa League or do you reckon it will actually be by getting into that top four? Because the top four is looking a lot more dangerous than it normally does with this season. And Spurs are still unbeaten in the league as well. Arsenal looking like the real deal for a change. Mm. Um, what's your thoughts on that? We should be doing both. Mm. With the money, what, Ten Hag got this summer, with the squad, with the players that we've got, we should be finishing in the top four and we should be winning the Europa League. I don't yeah. think there's any excuses. Who else are in the Europa League? I know some teams will drop out from the Champions League, but Roma, obviously Tottenham, sorry, Tot- not Tottenham, Arsenal. Arsenal. Mm. Yeah, Arsenal. Other than PSV. that, yeah, other than that, I don't think there's anyone to be scared of, really. It could be one of those things where Barcelona finished third in their group and Inter Milan and uh, actually, no, it could be Inter Milan finishing third and Bayern and Barcelona get through and then they yeah. could be another big team coming into it, but it goes to show that there are a lot of uh, top quality teams Spurs could even drop down in the Europa League we don't know for sure as yeah. well but I think we'll have a better idea in February because that's when we'll see the better teams come into the Europa League um, yeah. but like you said we should be wrapping this group up by game week 5 in my opinion as well after that defeat to Sociedad so win the ones away and win the ones at home we should be absolutely fine in that respect yeah because we haven't got Sociedad until the last game have we yeah I think so, so and that's an away game as well yeah so the next three we have to win yeah <laughs> Because we haven't even played the weakest team in the group yet. And yeah, we're fresh in both games, I think. Yeah, that's after the Man City game as well. I think that's on Thursday. So it goes to show how um, Ericsson Hag has to be- really manage this really busy October as well. Because I think we've got nine games in the month as well, which is crazy. So we're literally playing, like you said, every three days for the rest of the mm. month as well, uh, coming up in October, which will be pretty good as well. Um, but last thing on the podcast, uh, before we move on to hopefully when Salem joins us later on, is your best three memories in a Manchester City versus Manchester United um, game. So this is when they're playing at the Etihad on Main Road. What are your best kind of memories that you've had as a Man United fan uh, watching them at the Etihad? At the Etihad? Um, there was a goal what Paul scored. I can't remember the year, but when Paul Scholl scored at Main Road, I think it was on the way to winning the league title. Mm. And yeah, he scored a winner. It was a late winner as well. And yeah, that was probably up there. Hundred um, percent. 
obviously one of those games where Rashford scored. Did we beat them 2-0 away at their place? I think uh, it was one of Rashford's first goals away at the Etihad. Yeah, I think that was... I think he scored... Did he score two in that game? Was it 2-0 or 1-0 in 2016? Let's have a check. Yeah, was... I think... United, 2016. Yeah, 2016, Rashford. Was it saying 1-0? 12, 15, 16. Still looking for it. Yeah, it was 1-0 Marcus Rashford winner. That was it. Yeah. When that he retired Demi Yeah, he left him for dead. But yeah, that was a great game. Um. Obviously, it was just another one of those chapters where Rashid really marked his name in the Premier League. And yeah, that was good to see. Captivated so it right there. And what's your last uh, memory from that? Last pitch? one. So it's got to be at the Etihad, isn't it? Yeah. Just trying to think. Uh... Maybe the, yeah, the 2 1 game where. Rashford scored the penalty and Martial scored as well. Otamendi mm. scored for them late on just because it was a game where... Was Solskjaer under pressure then or was he just about to get the, the permanent job? That was the season after he got the permanent job. So he was like, that was his first season in the permanent job from the beginning as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so to go to their place and beat them 2-1, that was, that was great as well. Hopefully we can replicate that come Sunday afternoon. That would be perfect as well. Couple of honourable mentions for me. Um, the three-two when Robin van Persie scored that last-minute free kick, that was incredible. And Rooney scored twice in that game. That's one of my favourites. Yeah. The three-two where we were losing two-no at half time, um, and literally City fans were going to get ready for the parade as well and everything, celebrating with the trophy on the pitch. And then we came back with two goals from Paul Pogba and a winner from Chris Smalling as well. Oh yeah. And then I probably my last, that. my last one. So I had a bit of variety into it. It's kind of when uh, Luke Shaw scored in lockdown because remember in lockdown, not being able to go to any of the games, Bruno Fernandes scored the penalty. That was when Man City went on to win the league that season as, as well. Yeah. Uh, the season after Liverpool won it. But it's just one of those nice feelings that you're watching some of these games and you're just like, oh, I can't be in the stadium, can't be watching it. There's no crowd, there's no atmosphere. And we yeah. had lost to them at Old Trafford previously and uh, in the League Cup. And we had drawn to them early in the season as well. So it goes to show that um, the way that we were playing in that season, even though I think we finished second in that season, second under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, yeah. um, we literally pulled out as much as much uh, quality as we could in that game. And we did quite well, in my opinion. So those are the three kind of memories that I had of when Man United would go to Manchester City and turn up, hopefully. But um, yeah, we've discussed everything we've needed to today. We've talked about how Ericsson Hag can try and get the best of Pep Guardiola. Talked about how some of the players can try and win their individual battles as well. Talked about the history of the fixture. And Anthony, I just wanted to say one last thing. What's your score prediction for the game? I'm going to go for a draw, you know. Mm. I don't think we're going to lose. Yeah, I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to stay positive. Uh, I'm going to go 1-0. I think there'll be a few goals. 1-0. Rashford to score. And probably Haaland for my fantasy Premier League team. Is my, captain, my captain. I was going to say like 2-2 or 3-2 to someone as well. It tends to be a high-scoring game at the Etihad. So um, no one really plays conservative when we're playing at the Etihad because Man City has, are expansive as ever, really. So it goes to show how crazy we can be and how crazy these scorelines can be. So I'm going 
I'm going to be optimistic, you know. I'll go for a free... No, yeah, I'll go for a 2-2 two -two Man United win. I don't see us winning, like you said, but I think it could be one of those little valiant comebacks that we have, like City are winning 2-0 at half-time, and then we come back into the game, and then we just show some fight and some determination. And that's what we've kind of needed for a while. The way that we're playing under Ten Hag since the Brentford game, we are showing some fight and some determination, probably minus the Sociedad game that we had in the Europa League. But that, those were a lot of the squad players coming in for that game as well. But yeah, yeah, looking forward to seeing how we play on Sunday. I'm um, looking forward to the game as well, which would be good fun. But yeah, um, yeah, let's move on to part two of the podcast. Anthony, thank you very much for your time today. Um, looking forward to seeing you again soon and looking forward to getting you onto the podcast. Uh, a lot more frequently this season, which should be good. Nah, thanks again for having me. Just one last thing: Harlan's not my captain this week. I've put oh, Salah no. captain just because, yeah, I don't want him to score a team when he goes against United. But... I have Kane, Jesus, Martinelli, Harland, and Kulisewski. So I'm literally banking on two different games for my goal scorers. So kind of oh, score wow. as well. So it goes to show how well it will be um, going forward as well. But no, looking forward to this weekend. It'll be great fun. Anthony, thank you very much for your time. Everyone, we'll see you in part two. Right, we're back again for part two of the podcast and uh, thank you very much for sticking around if you have listened up until this point. So we just had our preview for the Manchester derby with Anthony Hay and that was a fantastic conversation to see how well we're going to do uh, on the weekend, we being Manchester United, obviously. But um, I'm reunited with Salim. So Salim, great to have you back on the podcast. There's been a hell of a lot of things that's happened to both of us since we've last had a podcast <laughs> together. So let's start with you. Uh, what's new with you? And for the people who are just listening and not watching, what have you got on your arm? What have we got there, Salim? Yeah, so as you can probably see, I've got I've got a sling on. Got an injury. Um, this is painful yeah. to see, man. I know my first like proper injury, I'd say, in, in my life, uh, really. So yeah, it's quite a, went through some new feelings, I'd say. But yeah, that's it. That's me. I'm a bit stuck at the moment. Can't really go gym or football. How but, yeah, did that happen? That's it. What happened? What happened? Just so our listeners know, how did you damage your arm in that way, in your shoulder that way? Yeah, so obviously, time of recording now, we're on Thursday, so it just happened four days ago on Sunday. Um, playing eleven aside, I've I've not. I think out of the three games, I've I've been on the bench for the last two because of um, obviously missing preseason, being in Florida and not really being ready. And you know, this game, I, I was given a start, and with twenty minutes into the game, I'd settled quite well. Um, you know, back in the flow of things. I'd find a, I found like a good rhythm of the game. I was getting on the ball. Everything was fine. And I just remember it quite well because I do tend to sort of um, sort of move towards the left left channel quite a bit, move towards the left. And, you know, I like to, to operate on, like, from even if I'm playing centre mid, I, like, I do like to drift at times. And just remember drifting out and just knocking the ball forward. And um, the right back on their team, you know, we were one up at this point as well, 20 minutes in. And, the right back from their team just sort of just dives in and um I, I knock the ball past him and I just I just feel him like you know taking my taking me out quite high like on my shin pad. Um yeah I just remember like I just remember going flying after that, you know, just forwards and um, yeah it was a bit different because normally if I, I normally like land about you know on my chest uh, kind of thing but this time it was it was just straight on my uh, shoulder. It, it yeah it all happened really quickly as well. Like yeah. you know I've fallen I get fouled loads anyway when I play um, you know, I that's get, why we you know, call you of... Sal Grealish because you literally draw yeah. in the fouls but into Batley. Yeah, so you know, I get I get kicked a lot, I get fouled a lot, and you know, I I do sort of get quite a bit of air time as well. But this time it was just different. You know, it happened really quick, and next thing I just like really just smashed in here, and as soon as I landed, I felt like oh no, this this time it does feel different. You know, the pain 
it doesn't feel like how it normally does. And I was like, oh, no, something's not right here. And I could feel like, obviously, you could probably see the bump. It's uh, moved as well. So, mm. yeah. And then I was on the floor in a lot of pain and I sort of hobbled off, like crawled off to the touchline. I wasn't too far from it. And, you know, I was, I was able to get up. I was able to like move my arms about probably just the um, adrenaline that I had in me. And yeah, I just like pour, pouring like loads of water down. I was wearing like a thermal as well. It was quite um quite cold. So I'm just pouring like loads of like cold water down just to see if I could sort of numb it off a bit and um and get back on. And you know, I was um I was able to get back on. Um, you know, kind of hobbled back onto the pitch somehow. I don't even know how, but I just didn't wanna I just didn't wanna not play, you know. Obviously, even you've played with me loads of times and you know how much I love playing and I never give up an opportunity to play football and no, I want to. I just want to keep going. I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe like after five minutes, the pain might settle, and I'll be able to see out at least seventy minutes, or maybe play the whole game. You know, reassess it at half time. And I, I tried to carry on. I, I remember getting the ball. I went past, went past the player as well, and then I, like dropped my shoulder, ironically. And the amount of pain I had was, you know, just unbearable. I was like, no, no. I just fell to the floor, like you know, take me off, take me off, kind of thing. And hmm. that's it. Uh, another thing to point out was that the normally the grass is a lot softer. But with the lack of rain that we've had, you know, it was a really hard pitch and, you know, I just sort of bounced straight back off it instead of, you know, absorbing the the impact. So, yeah, next thing I was at a hospital, I was at a hospital. I was in so much pain as, you know, sort of pain started kicking in and, yeah, sort of been, you know, given a sling since then and tomorrow I've got an appointment and they're going to assess, you know, whether I need physiotherapy or or surgery but hopefully it should just be most people I've spoken to have sort of told me it's most, it's most likely will be corrected by physio and hopefully get some sort of time frame I think the main thing for me is to get back to you know back to normal I, I don't want to sort of half recover and come back to play but yeah like you know it's my first first ever injury so you know when it happens you get all sorts of thoughts in your head something you've never been you know through this kind of thing I know you've been injured quite a bit recently so you so you'll understand where I'm coming from with this but yeah, and then, you know, you sort of meet people and they're like, oh, how come you went to play? Or, you know, how come you got like, you know, and it's just like, well, you know, it doesn't happen every week. You know, I've been playing football, you know, my whole life and it's the first time I've, you know, properly got injured. These things happen at the end of the day. It's not something about, oh, imagine if you never went to play this Sunday, you wouldn't have got injured. You can't foresee that and you can't foresee what the right back was going to do or how you're going to land or what the pitch was going to be like. So the fact that people are kind of going, oh, yeah, you could have avoided it. Not necessarily, like literally, it was just another game for you. It was one of the starts of the season that you had as well, getting back into the team and starting from the beginning as well. You're probably all excited for it. And just like you said, I've been injured this whole summer. That's why I got into foot golf more than anything in terms of actually having a physical yeah. activity to play and having something to look forward to as a sports and activity. I couldn't play cricket. I couldn't play football. Uh, I'm going to be back playing football this week, which will be uh, quite fun as well. So I'm looking forward to that. And it's just realistic. Yeah. it's just realistic in terms of the fact that as long as you recover properly and as long as you've mended yourself properly, then you'll be ready to get back and out of there again because you don't want to half recover, like you said. Um, I think yeah, yeah. was in that kind of situation as well. He'd rather recover properly. I'd rather recover properly than get back out onto it as well because I played one or two games in the summer when I was still injured. I was like, nah, I'm feeling yeah. it the next day and it's just made it worse for me. So it's at the... But no, no, but that's the thing. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to obviously remain positive. I want to get a good time frame. I was going cons consistently to the gym as well for the first time in my life and mm. playing football, you know, I was enjoying it. And yeah, you know, it's, it's something that I'll have to take time and reflect and hopefully come back stronger. And, you know, I don't want to be in that mentality where you know, in the future I still have like a fear of playing, you know, in case I get hurt. I want to be back to how I was before. So... 
yeah, it's, it's going to be hopefully a good sort of um time of reflection and time of, you know, mental growth. Mental growth indeed. And if it means that we can start a GoFundMe page to help you recover, Salim, then I think we're going to be all right in that respect, which would be... No, no, it's fine. I've I've just got I've just got the new FIFA as well early, so I, I don't think I'll be needing any GoFundMe or anything. I'll just be playing uh, that. I was trying to get someone to go fund my PlayStation, uh, my PS Five, um, to get me a, a new FIFA game as well. So I was, ho- I was hoping you stay quiet on that, but never mind. It's all out in the open now. But yeah, with FIFA coming out, it's gonna be great fun to really enjoy as well. I mean, after the week we've had with the international break as well, one of the most boring weeks in football, and uh, just realistically speaking, Salem. We need to talk about England. We really need to talk about England because um, you've said it from the beginning and you literally said it literally during, during the Euros as well and the World Cup from before we started the podcast to now this World Cup. Like Gareth Southgate, man, what is he doing with this England side? How do we get better with this England side? Because I don't see how we are and I don't see how he's gone back on his word as well about, about picking players not on their reputation but on how they're playing for their club and for players who have been playing well for their club. Tammy Abraham, Fikeo Tomori, um, Ivan Tony, they are getting into the squad, but they're not even getting into the starting squad or the starting eleven um, for the actual games as well. So they're in the training squad basically. What what's your first what's your first thoughts on this? Because we have no more games until Iran, um, that first game in the World Cup as well in Qatar 2022 in November. So what are your kind of thoughts on this, Salem? See, so I'm, you know, when when Southgate first came in, I was, um, I thought like this is a good appointment, you know, considering some some of the managers that we'd had before, you know, Big Sam Hodgson, uh, etc. So I thought, you know, we've got a manager coming in. He's openly said he's going to pick players on form, not on reputation. I think that was a massive, a massive plus for me. I was like, you know, we'll get to watch some players that you know don't get called up but deserve to get called up, you know, in front of some of the more experienced players that have been playing regularly and you know he's literally been a hypocrite and gone against his word I think mm-hmm. we've been really lucky in recent tournaments with the runs that we've had we you know we, we'll we'll beat teams that you know like Panama no disrespect to them and and people will be thinking you know like we're going to win the World Cup or we're going to win this and we're going to win that but for for me definitely I, I feel like we we should have changed after the Euros you know that that was a winnable tournament. The World Cup was another winnable tournament, and we just look really uninspiring at the moment. With the World Cup just around the corner, it's it's the wrong time to be to be. I know it's easy to say like, oh, it's just a friendly, or oh, it's just the Nations League. We'll be fine when the World Cup starts, but we we can't just have this mentality whereby yeah, we'll beat all the lower ranked teams, but when it comes to some of you know, the higher ranked countries, oh yeah, it's okay if we lose to them because they're France or because they're Brazil or because they're Germany. The, the mentality should be the complete opposite whereby we're thinking we can beat anyone. We've got the team, we've got the players to beat anyone. I've, I I personally think we've got the team to win this World Cup. We had the team to win the Euros and we should have we should have done a lot better in the in the last World Cup. We should have really gone to that final. Yeah, especially with the game that we had against Croatia as well. We just weren't um, aggressive enough and same in the final as well against Italy. Just weren't aggressive enough going forward. Very passive in how we actually. Um, but it's it like well. you know we're 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 playing five centre backs. Uh, sorry, five at the back a lot of the times with two defensive mids in front. It's just such a waste, and you've got so much talent on that bench, and you know a lot of talent not even being called up. Hundred percent, and not even getting the the adequate game time. Like for me, for example, seeing Bukayo Saka, who was probably one of our shining lights of Euro two thousand twenty playing at left wing back, a place where he hasn't played for a good number of years. Like, what is Southgate thinking of there as well? He really should be playing him in his natural position 
as a right winger. And I know you wanted to fit Foden in as well, but Sterling, Saka and Kane was our first choice in the knockout stages of the Euros as well. And it worked really well for us. I don't see why it's to go back on that. And if it's something that we can build on going forward, why not? Saka offers something different to Phil Foden. Uh, I know he started belling him in there as well, which has been great for me to see as Mm. well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how it kind of goes. But no, realistically speaking, um, I don't think we're going to get anywhere close in this World Cup as well. I don't think it's going to be a winnable tournament because the other teams around us have improved dramatically. When you're looking at the Brazils, the Argentinas, when you're looking at the France team as well, you're looking at the Spain team of Luis Enrique, even the Netherlands team of Louis van Gaal. I think there are a lot of strong teams out there, Salah. I don't think... I think with England, we've sat still over the last two years or the last year or so, I should say. Yeah. Other teams have incredibly increased their value and the quality in their team as well. So I'm not quite... I'm not that confident. I'm confident we can get out of the group against USA, Iran and Wales, respectively. But I'm not confident of going into these uh, bigger games later down the tournament if we even get there as well. So I'm quite happy to see us go through the group, but I'm not going to bank on us getting anywhere further. And obviously, if you're listening to us as well, we will be talking a lot more about the World Cup when it comes across as well. Hopefully, we'll be having a lot more daily uh, content as well for you all to listen to as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, seeing as we are talking about England, I did want to ask you as well, Salim, for that first game against Iran in Qatar in November 2022, what would be your starting lineup? How would you set it up? Who would you start? Who would you bench? Um, let's hear it, man. Yeah, so I mean, there are a lot of players like that not in form at the moment, and it's it's a shame because I, I I'd I'd want to have sort of taken them, but um, obviously that you know they're just not not playing well enough. Um, Nick Pope, interestingly, did get called up, but his distribution didn't look that good the, the other day. So I still think I'd probably just stay with um, Jordan Pickford. So I'd, I'd go Jordan Pickford at the back um, in net, sorry. I'd go Reese James, John Stones, Tyrone Mings and Luke Shaw left back. There's a shout for Tamori in there as well, but at the moment I'd probably go Stones and Mings. In midfield, I'd have I'd have a two of Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham. I know um, Raheel's going to be happy hearing that one, but no, he's, he's, he's a massive talent and you can see why teams are after him looking to pay these large sums of money. Uh, then I've got a fluid three in front of that so they you know they could easily rotate and that would cause a lot of problems for the opposition of um, Saka, Bowden and Sterling. And then I'd have Kane up top. I would go somewhat similar. First of all, I think that seems pretty good as well. Um, but my change, well, I'd go from the back. Jordan Pickford at the back. I think you have to go for Kyle Walker. I think you then have to go for John Stones, Takeo Tomori. And I think you're going to, I think, I'm not going to go for what Southgate wants. This is what I want. I would like to see uh, Luke Shaw given a go as well, because I don't think Ben Chilwell is... Chilwell's not ready, yeah. He's definitely not ready. We haven't seen it this season as well. And with Cucurella coming in as well, Cucurella's got the nod over him a good number of times at Chelsea. And with Graham Potter as a new manager as well, I expect it to stay the same. And I don't think I'd like to see Kieran Trippier at left back as well. But I definitely want to back four. I do want yeah. Jude Bellingham and I do want Declan Rice as my hold in too. My three in as attack would be a bit different. So I would go Saka on the right. I would go Sterling on the left. But I'd like to see Mason Mount in there as well. Mason Mount mm-hmm. personally, because he does offer a lot more pressing from the front as well. He does a lot more of the dogged work that a lot of people don't see. And they don't tend to appreciate as well. So in these long tournaments, in the group stages, I feel like we'll have the majority of the ball against Wales, against Iran and against the USA. But it's in these bigger games as well, where I think we won't have a lot of the ball. You want to win it back first. Uh, I think Mason Mount is crucial in there. And that's why I see Mason Mount as a key integral part as an attacking midfielder for me. 
And then obviously Harry Kane has to be the man that starts up front as well, who would eventually drop back and let Sterling fly forward, Saka fly forward, Kyle Walker fly forward. Yeah, forward. but he, he's quite good. He's quite good at linking that play. But I was just going to mention, you know, I'd have somebody like Grealish would, would be going there. He'd probably be a starter for me if he wasn't, he hasn't been this bad as the other at City. Mm. You've got um, Jaden Sancho, another player that, who, who can obviously recreate, if he can recreate his, you know, form that he showed at Dortmund. I'd take Sancho then, over Bowen and I'd take Rashford over whatever other attacker we've got. But you know, life. we've still got we've still got Tammy and we've still got Ivan Tony as well. Those two are quality players that need to be taken out as well, I, you know, when you want to change things up. I don't think and, and, I don't think Tony's I don't think Tony would go. I think if you had Rashford in there, he could also play as a striker. And he has been playing as a striker for Man United. Yeah. So you could have a utility striker up front and you have Tammy Abraham as that second backup striker to Harry Kane. I don't I see like, Watkins going and I don't see Ivan Tony going as well. So yeah, I I'm not sure about for Watkins and for Danny Ings either. You know, I think if it was Watkins after the season before last year, mm. I, I definitely would have taken him as he can, you know, it's quite flexible. He can play off the wings. Even Ezri Konsa, the way he was playing before, but he's sort of dropped off form a bit. Yeah. Um, it's like Conor Gallagher not getting into the English yeah. squad anymore because he's dropped off in form since going back to Chelsea. But if, if there was one player that I'd, I'd definitely take as a wildcard kind of player, especially somebody that we can bring on, you know, no matter what score winning, losing or drawing, it, it'd have to be James Ward-Prowse. Mm. I feel like, you know, he's he's got a lot of energy in him. He can, you know, so much stamina and also like quality on the ball. People just think he's a set-piece merchant, which, you know, he's, he's a specialist. But there's a lot more that his game does, does bring and could really help us win those midfield battles. I think mine's not a wild card. I think it's just one of those that just gets omitted all the time. James Madison. I think obviously with his behaviour yeah. issues in the last time he was in the squad, that's why he still hasn't come back into the squad as well. But I'm thinking, you know what? James Madison would be someone who does offer something a bit different attackingly as well. I know we've got Mount, Grealish and Foden that can play as an attacking midfielder and obviously Harry Kane dropping back. But I think still he would be able to like pick some of the gaps as well. I know, I know we've got a 26-man squad I think we have for the World Cup as well. So it kind of goes sure. to show who I think we would have available going forward as well. There's no guarantee that Calvin Phillips will be there. So James Ward-Prowse could be, end up being another player going forward as well. But I'm seeing the likes of like Mark Gurhi, um being mentioned, Connor Cody as well. There's a the talk of Trent and Reese James who you want to go for. But I think you can't mess about with what Carl Walker's done for England. He is a tried and trusted um, guy as well. We aren't going to talk about Harry Maguire because I don't want to talk about Harry Maguire. It's a positive talk, and, uh, talk of conversation today. So we will leave it out. Um, as well, but I am really upset. I do have to say, I'm really upset that Emil Smith Rowe has been ruled out of the World Cup as well. I thought he's a bright young talent as well, um, going forward, but obviously injured until December, so we're not going to be able to see him. Um, but Salem, I know you wanted to talk about the designs of the kits at the World Cup this year as well. And uh, fortunately for me, I got my hands on one of them when I was um, out in Germany. Obviously, I got the Germany kit, I went to the Adidas uh, flagship store in Berlin, which I thought was a fantastic experience. My brother goes to Berlin again. I told him to go there because you'll enjoy it. That were really good to see. There was the Mexico kit. There was a Sweden kit, the Germany kit and the Argentina kit. And the best-selling shirt there was the Argentina kit with Messi number 10. People were just going to get it printed out. And I'm like, it's just it's just phenomenal, this Lionel Messi guy in it. So I would just kind of ask you, Salem, as well. What were your three favourite kits from the World Cup drops that you've seen recently as well? Ooh, I've seen some really good ones. Uh, and then I've seen some some bad not so good ones and then I've seen obviously that England home one here's, here's my bold take I hate the England home kit that's my worst kit that I've seen in this that one and the Australia one I hate the most but Australia aren't getting as much press obviously as England in the country so mm -hmm. those are my two worst kits that I don't like 
there are a lot of kits I do like, you know, especially these the kits in white do tend to look quite good. Um, mm. The Japan look, Japan one looks very nice. Yeah, J Japan normally, yeah, theirs is quite nice. But I think my favorite, I think that the France, the France kit looks quite classy. Uh, yeah. German looks quite nice as well, and even even that um, Portugal away kit. I know it's a bit of a you know a bit of a random one, but mm. no, to be honest, there's there's quite a lot of quite a lot of really good kits. Um, but I think my shout out probably goes to the, um to Denmark and Hummel for what they've done with their kits. What what a way they did it as well on their social media posts as well. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic from Denmark. A very bold of, of Hummel to do it from their own social media account as well. So for anyone who doesn't know, they had a kit all in black when they're saying this is in black and this is for all the workers that have kind of passed away in Qatar um, against all the human rights issues in Qatar as well. So even though we are going to be representing Denmark at this World Cup, uh, Hummel will still be like, yeah, but we're standing against what you actually stand for, Qatar in 2022. So right on for them as well. I appreciate what they did. And um, any thoughts from you, Salim, on what Homo have done? Do you think they could have done it? Do you reckon other kids should have done the same as well? Had a stand like that? You know, it was um, it was a great initiative from them and they've come out boldly with the statement and, you know, to total respect for that. There's nothing more that, you know, we can add. I think um, it's an example to follow. But, I mean, imagine every, every team just did that. So I probably didn't see that happening. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, the Done some, uh, they've done something really different and they've made a statement. Uh, I'm not sure if you were quite aware with what was happening with um, Canada's kits. Yeah, and, uh, remind Dave. me of that again because I know Jonathan David had to hide the night tip, but what actually happened? Yes, yeah, so, uh, from what I remember is that Jonathan David and a couple of other um, Canada players weren't happy about um, obviously them not getting a new kit. So when he scored, he covered up his um, cover the night tick up with his hand uh, so obviously just to cover it up but ironically he's wearing Adidas gloves as well at the time so mm. bit, of a, bit of a conflict there Nah it was good to see as well I think he was doing it um, when he was walking out the stadium as well still holding it against him so it goes to show that he was forever kind of doing that as well uh, my favourite kits I think they all go to Adidas to be fair I think Adidas killed it it's not a paid uh, promotion or anything like that I just thought their designs look classy as always they look very chic um, as well so for me my favourite kit um, again, me being biased was the Germany kit, the home one. I thought that was fantastic. It's very clean. It's very efficient. And it looks very nice as well. I remember going to the Bayer Leverkusen game against Hertha Berlin and people were like, oh, is that the new kit? But they were saying it in German because they thought I was German. And I was like, sorry, I don't understand. It's like, oh, that kit is very nice. And I was like, oh, thank you. So I got praise for being an Englishman wearing a Germany kit on the weekend after the Queen uh, had passed away. So I was like a very bad British person in Germany celebrating uh, the release of Germany's new kit so I was like mm -hmm. yeah I wouldn't be allowed to wear this coming back into the country and I haven't worn it since being in the country as well so it is what it is but I really like that kit that's my number one number two is the Japan home one as well I think that's fantastic one with the blue I've got the Japan one from 2016 I think uh, no 2018 sorry from the World Cup uh, my sister has the one from 2016 but that wasn't a World Cup one um, but that was a fantastic one to have and I think we did that little review back in lockdown as well which is quite fun um then my third favorite one i quite like the mexico home kit i, I knew like you were gonna say, i was i was gonna say that but yeah the mexico's world cup kit is really nice too it's a very good it's a very good fashion statement as well it's very good it's very out in your face as well and it's got that heritage there as well for everyone to learn about as well but yeah genuinely for me i think those three are my favorite world cup kits that i've kind of seen as well saudi arabia isn't as bad qatar's isn't as bad but they're not as memorable as the three that I kind of said as well. And Argentina's away kit in purple does look crazy as well. So imagine that's a kit where Lionel Messi 
wins their World Cup in as well, which we'll be talking about later on um, over the next couple of weeks as well. We'll be talking a lot more about the World Cup, especially with Salim in the sling as well. It's, it's mine now. We're going to be talking all about football in the World Cup with them as well. And shout out Korea's kit as well. Korea have a very good kit. Um, it's very RB Leipzig type of vibe as well um, going forward. But yeah, moving forward, we are going to be talking a bit about the Premier League as well. I know everyone listening, you've heard us talk about the Manchester derby for a while as well. So, Salim, we are going to stick to basically just your kind of uh, thoughts on the games coming up so far. And the first game that we have coming up is the North London derby on Saturday. So why don't you tell us a bit about how you think Tottenham can actually overcome uh, Arsenal. And remember, Tottenham are still unbeaten as well, Salim. So it could be a really big game for them to stay unbeaten if they actually go for a draw in this one. Yeah, just quick points on the Premier League and football in general. I, I think I've just seen I just saw a calendar yesterday with uh, with dates for football in October being Champions League and Premier League, and you know we're absolutely stacked. So it's it's going to be a be a good month in that sense. You know, something for me to do as I can't obviously play football or go gym uh, every every day kind of th- kind of do thing. So do I've you reckon got, we can go to a game together a midweek game? Potentially, yeah. I think especially if it's in Manchester or something, we could. But yeah, starting start in, no, in LD. Uh, the, I'm... Reason, the reason I say this, my uni lecturers won't like me saying this, but basically, uh, I have to scout three different games before December for one of my assignments. So if it means I go to a different game other than Man United, I'll happily be down as well. And if there's a Villa game in the midweek or somewhere in Leeds or Manchester, it could be an option as well. Yeah, for sure. Let's, you know, let's check the calendar and get something, get something going. Definitely. But yeah, so... NLD, I'm looking forward to it. Um, obviously, I'm looking forward to any football, considering we've had this international break uh, and you know the sort of postpone postponement of games too. Yeah, it's it's going to be a good. I'm hoping for a really good game, good, and hopefully they'll have a good atmosphere there too. The two clubs that I do want to see in a title race, you know, people might people might be thinking, oh, you know, what, why is he thinking that? But I don't want it to just be Man City and then a massive gap. Like mm. I do want other challenge and. Arsenal have, you know, done done decently well this season. They've not really played many of the harder, difficult fixtures yet. But they, you know, they they played United the other day and um, Spurs, like you said, unbeaten. Conte's there, you know, he's, you know, he's done well since he's come in as well and he's signed some of the players that he's wanted. So it's going to be an interesting, interesting game. I'm really looking forward to seeing that midfield battle as well. So how you're going to see Hjolberg and Bentancourt against the likes of Xhaka? Partey if it's fit and Odegaard as well if it's fit as well because it will be a really big thing for Tottenham if they score first because Antonio Conte as we both know would like to shut up shop straight away he doesn't want to leave it to the last minute like he did against Chelsea and he will want to really get at this um, Arsenal side early like he did last season at um, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where they end up taking over fourth position from Arsenal as well so it goes to show that there is a lot to go through in this game and I'm really looking forward to the battle as well at the back with William Saliba who has been billed as a very good up-and-coming player um, for Arsenal as well. How he deals with the Harry Kane test as well, because he hasn't really faced a striker of his calibre yet as well. He's faced Marcus Rashford, who's been more of a threat indirectly, so again, pulling him back and then going forward um, on the half turn. Harry Kane will be going face-to-face against him as well, maybe dropping back and maybe spreading passes through to Son and Kulisevsky or Richarlison um, going forward as well. So I'm looking forward to those battles as well. Next up, we have Bournemouth versus Brentford. I think this might be one of those boring games on the weekend, but I'm looking forward to seeing how Ivan Tony does after wasting his time in the England squad as well. No fault of his own, but um, what can he kind of do? Besides do a press conference, you know, and that's it. Um, I think Brentford will win this game as well. I think it will be quite easy for them with Thomas Frank setting up how he does. And this, Brent, this Bournemouth side 
doesn't look like it's going to be threatening um, on the weekend as well. Salah, what are your thoughts on Crystal Palace versus Chelsea, with it being at Selhurst Park as well and Graham Potter's uh, first away game in charge of Chelsea in the Premier League? Yeah, it's interesting because he's he shifted away from playing five at the back, hasn't he? he I'm sure he played four at the back in that he, Champions League game. He played uh, he played five at he did it differently. He said it as four at the back, but he in the attacking phase it would be uh three at the back. And then in the defensive phase it went to five. So he kept he kept on changing it as well. He is is good at that, Graham Potter. And is as well noticed as well with how he did it. Um but yeah, sorry, you were saying. Yeah, you know, not not too sure. Um it's, it's going to be interesting to see if it can hit the ground running uh, with him. Obviously, it's going to be a project. It's, he's going to need time. He's going to need time to get his ideas. You know, like at, at, at Brighton, there was a time where they obviously wanted him out, if you can remember. He was getting he booed was, for some reason as well. It made yeah. no sense. And he was, so, he was so blunt in the press conference. He was going, "You do, like the fans do realise who we are. We are Brighton. We're not Man United or Man City. He said it something like that as well. And you're just kind of there like, wow, he is quite genuine about what he's feeling you know, like as well been quite unlucky when he was there because in terms of xg you know it's it's a metric to to look at and he was he was always sort of topping that they were just unable to finish so yeah it's going to be interesting with all these new signings that chelsea have made you know with Aubameyang and Koulibaly and Kukurea you know mm. list so yeah interesting to see definitely do you reckon chelsea will win or do you reckon it'll be a, a shock result by crystal palace like they tend to do every now and then I think I think I think Chelsea will win, yeah. Chelsea have done well so far as well. So even without Thomas Tuchel, they're going to set up in a different way with uh, Graham Potter as well, which would be quite fun to see. Uh, next up, we have got Fulham versus Newcastle. I think it might be a, an easy win for Newcastle with Alexander Isaac coming back into the team as well. Um, it will be good to see how Mitrovic does as well for fantasy points. He's not my fantasy team anymore. I, I was able to support Jesus Harland and Harry Kane, which is quite surprising as well. Um, but no, I think it'll be a Newcastle win. They're playing away at Craven Cottage, so it'll be quite good to see how they kind of go about it. Liverpool versus uh, Brighton next, Alan. So how do you think Liverpool will kind of do with Darwin Nunes kind of, kind of get, getting back into this team as well? Also, I don't get how fans get onto uh, um, Darwin Nunes. You know, for those training videos uh, that you see on social media. It yeah. makes no sense. Like, it's just one shot. It's like Sadio Mane had that for Bayern Munich earlier this season. I'm like, it's just the video. They probably miss shots all the time, but they score in real life. So I don't get why they're chatting about training videos. It makes no sense to me. Personally. Yeah. Um, you know, it is again with, with Nunes and him and Haaland, the, the comparisons were always going to be there from, from day one. Mm. It just depends, you know, like this, he's obviously going to need this sort of bedding in period. And, you know, once he gets that, hopefully he can bang the goals in. He's a player that I do rate. I just feel like he's still a young player and he needs time. You know, you can't be just. I know the, the transfer fee was quite big and people are going to be expecting miracles or him to score every game, you know, like how Haaland's doing. But you yeah. have to remember different types of players and he needs time to settle into the into Premier League. Some players just need more time than others. Exactly. And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see after, you know, we, we need to give him at least 12 months, 18 months. And then as long as he's getting in the right areas and creating the chances, you can't really complain. It's As, as long as he's doing that, the, the time will come and he will start banging him in. It's gonna it's gonna be a settling in period for uh, yeah. Darwin Nunes as well, just like you said. And it's gonna be these type of games as well against teams with a new manager, teams with a bit of a freshness about them. How he settles into starting against it as well, because they could always go back to putting Firmino as the false nine, but Darwin Nunes is a different type of striker completely as well. Like we've heard previously as well from Felipe um, going forward. But 
yeah, I think Liverpool should win this game. It's that Anfield. They should tend to do really well going forward. Their midfield is still tricky enough to... I think they're still missing two free signings, but they're going to have to wait till January or next season to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Southampton versus Everton next. Um, Everton still getting still on a bad run of form, in my opinion, as well. They should be doing a lot better with how they've kind of gone about it. I know they won against West Ham recently, but West Ham are also in a, a bad bit of form. They just and then Southampton are losing the last two games as well against Aston Villa and Wolves as well. So it's all to play for in this one as well. I reckon it'll be a ball draw with Southampton and Everton going for a nil-nil. So if I was doing Super Six, I'd go for something like that going forward. Uh, next game for you. West Ham versus Wolves, 5.30 kickoff on Saturday. West Ham still in the dumps as well, not playing great uh, football, not doing great. And David Moyes, there's talks of him even being potentially removed from his job before the World Cup. Uh, what are your thoughts on West Ham so far this season? Still in 18th position as well, Salah. I can't remember which one of your friends, I think it was Danny, who, who didn't rate Moyes at any cost. Yeah. Was it him? It was Danny. And, he, and, and, you know, we were sort of expecting miracles, you know, top four. We were saying, it's, yeah, they're going to win the Europa League, they're going to do sick, and then they didn't. And then, you know, it's, 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 like, it's, yeah. sad, to see, it's sad to see Moyes in this situation. Um, like you said, he's probably clinging on for his job as well. He's got a bit of goodwill in the bank, I feel like. He, well, that, that's probably why he's lasted this long. But yeah, if, if he doesn't get some wins soon, then, you know, it's going to, it's going to sort of probably cost him his job. But I, I just don't understand. You know, they spent big money again this summer. They bought, uh, Lucas Paqueta in somebody that I rate highly. I wish I wish we went after him if anything. And mm. uh, Skamaka as well, big big money forward signing, which you know is a player that they did need and they were able to retain Declan Rice. I mean, he started against England as well, Skamaka in the Nations League, and he's starting in the Conference League for um, for West Ham as well. So it goes to show that he is getting ready for that Premier League um, experience coming forward as well. So we'll see how he does, and if mm. David Moyes still wants to go for the two up top with Antonio and with Skamaka. So. Lots to discuss with that um, over the next coming weeks as well with West Ham. But do you reckon West Ham will win against Wolves or do you reckon Wolves have the stronger, strong case of winning? I'd probably just go for a draw. Mm. Hopefully it's an exciting draw because it's on TV, 5.30 on, on Saturday. Like, uh, hopefully like B3 or something. Yeah, it'll be quite fun to see that. Uh, the Manchester Derby we've already spoken about as well. So if you haven't heard of it, just go back to the beginning of the podcast. It was a fantastic conversation with... Uh, the Athletic staff editor, Anthony Hay, a uh, big Man United fan as well. So looking forward to seeing him next time as well. Actually, for the Manchester derby. Who's who's going to win for you? Do you reckon Man uh, City will win? going to go Man City 4-0. I mean, we scored a goal last season at the Etihad, so you could at least give us a goal as well. Like Maybe Sancho will score or something. I, I didn't think we are going to win. I think we are going to win. Probably... Right, I'll, I'll update you, then I'll go 5-1. 5-1, don't worry. We get a goal eventually. It'll be good to see. Um, how we do as well and we may still be without Rashford and Martial as well so two players who do really well at the Etihad may not be available so you could have to start with CR7 up front Ooh, that would be very tricky to see how he does uh, and the next game is your game Salim Leeds versus Aston Villa Sunday uh, 4.30 kickoff as well I'd prefer it if this Leeds game was at 2 o'clock and the Manchester derby was at 4.30 but it is what it is talk to us how do you think you're going to beat this Jesse Marsh Leeds side who have done pretty well this season as well I think Jesse Marsh is a Becoming a better character of judgment, uh, judgment, yeah, judgment of character, um, in this lead side as well. I know they're around 11, but they are playing some great football from what I've seen for what they are, and only a couple of positions above you as well. So, also play for in this kind of middle of the table battle for you, Salah. Yeah, I, I agree. I wish the game was a bit earlier. I, I have got tickets for this away game, so I, I obviously got the ticket before I got injured, but last season as well, you went, 
Ellen Road. Yeah, I went, I went last season and we won 3 0. A lot of my mates were our Leeds fans actually from work and, mm. you know, where I live. So it was nice to have bragging rights because I don't know, they always tend to beat us, but we've sort of been beating them quite a lot lately. So I'll, I'll take that. And that was, I think, one of Jesse March's first games, maybe his first game. But, you know, it's, he's come a long way since then. That Leeds team were, were flat. They looked like they were just going to get relegated. We outplayed them that day. But, yeah, for us, still the same problems, really. We've improved slightly, but the Southampton game was one of the worst games of football I've ever watched. And, you know, we did all right in that Man City game before that. I still I still don't know whether Gerard's the right man. I've tried to give him time. I've tried to back him. But I think losing Michael Beals just cost his whole operation. And, you know, I'm still still out there for Pochettino. But, yeah, hopefully hopefully we Thomas get... Thomas Tuchel, we... maybe? Thomas Tuchel? But, uh, to be honest, anyone at this point, even mm. even Brendan Rodgers, I wouldn't mind giving a chance. But, yeah, you know, um, looking forward to it. You know, I look forward to every Villa game. I don't ex- I've never never enjoyed a Villa game, but I've, I've always, you know, looked forward to to every game. And I'm hoping, hoping we can get something, hoping we can get a win. Well, as long as we just don't lose, to be fair, even like a draw will do at this point. But... But yeah, I've, I've got hopes. I feel like we can back it up. I just hope he plays Gwendia finally. But, yeah. you know, the injury, injury crisis are quite big at the club. We've got Matty Cash injured. We had Emi Martinez had some problems, but I think he's OK. Uh, Diego Carlos, another big, big signing injured. Um, Luca Dean apparently has picked up a knock as well. Uh, Bubaka Kamara, one of our marquee signings, injured as well. And, you know, the list just goes on, so... I'm really hoping he does freshen that side up. I hope he, you know, he drops McGinn. I hope he drops. Um, I hope he gives Buendia a proper chance as well. But yeah, let's, you know, just have to wait till the weekend. Yeah, it's going to be a good midfield battle as well. Because if John McGinn does start, it could be him against Tyler Adams in that midfield as well. Who's had, I think, he's in the top three or top five of uh, most successful tackles in Europe as well. So that'll be a good game to see how McGinn and Douglas Weiss do against the likes of Tyler Adams in that midfield. And Brendan Aronson as well has been a fantastic player to watch. Um, for Leeds as well. And then the final game of the weekend is on Monday at 8 o'clock. Uh, Leicester versus Nottingham Forest. Um, Brendan Rodgers, like you said, he could be out of a job anytime soon, but he's got a lot of royalty in the bank, especially after winning the FA Cup a couple of seasons ago. Um, I think the writing's on the wall. I think the writing's on the wall for Brendan Rodgers. I think his time will literally be up. And Nottingham Forest are also... But they're, they're a new team in the Premier League as well. They're getting used to the, what they have. I think they've just spent in the wrong places Nottingham Forest and with the wrong money as well realistically speaking I wish they were spent like eight really good players instead of going for like 18 players I think they've gone for it's crazy to see how they're spent and who they're spent on as well so um, I think this will be a boring game Um, I hope I'm wrong I really hope I'm wrong I think it's going to hopefully it's going to be an entertaining game but I think it'll be like a 1-0 Leicester win and then everyone will be like oh yeah Brendan Rodgers has bought like another week so we'll see how it goes but um. Yeah, that's kind of the roundup for the Premier League coming up this week. If there's one player for you to watch out for, Salem, in, in this uh, game week, from what we just said, who would it be and why? I still want to see Mikel Damsgaard play. Um, mm. It's probably have to be him. But if not, um, if not him, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what I'd put up there. I quite. I was going to say Anthony, but I think I mentioned, I've already mentioned him before. Say it again. He scored on his debut when you said it as well. So yeah. he could score in the I'll go Anthony again. Fantastic. Yeah. I think for me, someone I'm looking forward to watching properly, and you mentioned him earlier, Lucas Paqueta. I want to see him in a proper game yeah. in the yeah. Premier League as well. So I'd like to see how he does 
in this side for West Ham if he does actually, get injured. I've got a player, actually. I've got... um. So, he was one and uh, Matias Nunes for Wolves. He's somebody I want to mm. see. They've gone well with their Portuguese signings. Guedes, Nunes as well. Fantastic players as well mm. to kind of go through for Wolverhampton Wanderers. But, yeah, lots of talent on show this weekend as well and lots of games coming up as well. So, it'll be refreshing to kind of talk to you a lot more about it in the coming weeks as well, which will be quite good um, to kind of go for as well. Um, but as we wrap up the podcast today, Salim, um, I know you are injured and I know we've got a lot of plans coming up for the next couple of weeks and for the months as well with the World Cup coming up as well. Um, if there is one thing that you could learn from your experience now of being injured, like what do, you, what do you reckon you'll be doing in your spare time now? You said you wanted to become mentally stronger. What would you give advice to our listeners um, for you doing as well as for other people to be doing as well? Ooh, um, I'd say like obviously it's the first time I've experienced this, so it's quite new. Mm. Everything me at the start, you know, I was quite obviously down and shocked, and you know, anxious. I don't, I you know, no idea what's going to happen next. Will how long till I play again? Will it ever recover fully again? Mm. You know, all those questions go in your head. You know, it completely ruins your routine. You know, I used to play football at least three to four times a week, sometimes twice in one day. I'd be going gym at least three, four days a week as well. So. You know, it's it's sort of um, you know, ruin sort of not ruin, I'd say it's put a break on all them things. But I'd say the main thing to start with is sort of try to try to get, you know, by any chance, just try and get a positive spin on things and you know, there's gonna be a lot of like negative comments or comments that are like, Oh, like you, how come you went to play today? Or if you didn't play like or if you don't play eleven aside, you're not gonna get injured or it's gonna be stuff like that. But I feel like it, you know, football is not really a sport where I, I go out to injure people and I don't think a lot of the people I play with, you know, play just to injure someone. And these things happen, you know, it's a contact sport. You could get injured, you know, just walking in the street, you could fall off, fall over and you could, you know, pretty much do the same injury anyway. Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think you know, as hard as it sounds, you just have to try and remain positive. And I feel like, so speaking to other people that have had, you know, this injury, so, you know, where I work, some of them, um, some some people some people at work you know they play a lot of like rugby and and they've had this injury before and they've they've reassured me so it was nice to hear from someone firsthand instead of just reading online it was nice to hear from someone you know firsthand how they coped with it how they went through it what their recovery was like that's really refreshing to hear not everyone has that sort of chance but you know you'd be surprised for for rugby players this is quite a common injury so yeah I'd say. I'd say speaking. I think just speaking to people that have that have genuinely been through it and know how it feels was really helpful. Definitely. Now that's a that's a really nice way of ending the podcast as well because it goes to show there is hope for recovery. There's no such urgency for surgery as well. So it goes to show that there is a lot of things that we can be working towards as well. And um, as we do on this podcast, we always talk about mental health and mentality. And it goes to show that you've got the right mental uh, mental strain right there as well, Salim. So I'm really happy that you found a light in this negative situation that you're in. But again, it's only a temporary situation and you'll be laughing about it when you're back ready and ready to go as well. Because again, like you said, and like I said as well, we play football so consistently on a different basis as well to what we used to do. We're playing a lot more games, so we're going to be more prone to injuries and, and things like that. And it's happened to us, but it goes to show that there's different ways of moving forward as well. And there definitely is. And I'm looking forward to seeing um the um, the re-emergence of Salon um when you're going to be going when you're going to be back playing football as well so I'm looking forward to that um as well which will be good fun um but yeah everyone thank you very much for listening we are at the end of the podcast everyone do give us a 
uh thumbs up on spotify and apple music as well and do like our videos on youtube as well we are enjoying what we are putting out for the content that we have uh we're glad to be back making content like we like we do is fantastic and Hopefully with Salim injured as well, um, he'll be able to do some more in-person ones as well. We may have to go to Salim's house to record it in person, which will be good fun. So time will tell. Um, but yeah, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Salim, as, as always, it's a pleasure to speak to you and good to see you again, my friend. Um, and we'll see you later. Take care.